Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, Dr. Rothstein here. Welcome to Parenting Your Challenging Child, uh, the November edition, this being November 1st. I am joined by the Lives in the Balance Director of Outreach, Kim Hopkins. Kim, how are you? I'm doing quite well, thanks. How are you? I am doing quite well myself. Um any thoughts to kick us off here today? Um, well, I do know Jennifer plans to join us, just so you know, be on the lookout for her. Um, and I'm looking forward to the summit coming up November 18th, couple of weeks. Talk about it. <laughs> um, we have lots of great stuff planned for parents, for educators, for providers, um, always a great lineup of speakers. Uh, you could probably speak more intelligently to the keynotes that we have lined up than I could, but um, really, really thrilled to be coming together. Even though it's virtual, I think that we have a nice nice schedule for everybody, a nice plan. So, Well, um, our two keynotes are Brooklyn Rainey, who's the founder and lead trainer at One Trusted Adult, and Carla Shalaby, coordinator of social justice initiatives and community internships at the University of Michigan's School of Education. They are not like major household names uh, for a lot of people, but they are uh, household names for people in education. Um, and so... Uh, we think that, uh, and we always have amazing keynotes at our uh, summit, and this year is no exception. So people can register on the Lives in the Balance website in the workshops and trainings section. Um, we also just had our uh, Children's Mental Health Advocacy Conference. About 1,500 people registered. We had some very prominent and amazing speakers, including uh, Paris Hilton, uh, Senator Chris Murphy from Connecticut, uh, Representative Ro Khanna from California, I believe. We featured many of the federal and state pieces of legislation that are um, have been put forward and are awaiting people to support them. Otherwise, they won't get passed, um, and that was just recently. And if people want to watch that, they can go to the workshops training section on the Lives in the Balance website, and they can watch the entire day because we recorded the entire day. Jennifer, is that you with us? That is me. <laughs> wow. Good morning. How are you, Jennifer? <laughs> I'm good. And I was just listening to you talking about the uh, the program that we just had, Dr. Green, and wanted to mention that people who are interested in letting their legislators know that they would like them to support those bills that we talked about, 
can also find that information on our website under the advocacy section. Outstanding. Um, yeah, we've got a lot going on, don't we? Um, <laughs> good stuff. What's that? It is good stuff. We are about to, Kim, there's one more thing you could talk about. It's not up on the website yet because you and I still have to talk about it. I think we're talking tomorrow, but um, we're going to have a new swag section on the website for people who yeah. want to um, let the world know about how they feel about kids doing well if they can. Do you want to talk about that at all? Sure. It's a long time coming. Um, we put a lot of kind of thought and effort into design and products. And so we're, we're starting out with like a soft, slow roll, and there's going to be about six different uh, products featuring a design that um, we had a contest for. And um, the winner, Lindsay DeWeese, her, her um, design got picked. And so you can see that. That'll be a direct link from our website to our cafe press door. And, um, yeah, it, uh, we're really, really pleased. And then we hope to add, add more as uh, time progresses and as we see how people like it. I'm very excited to order some swag, so I need a little <laughs> swag update. <laughs> Just in time for holiday shopping. <laughs> there you go. Oh, there you go. These are great stocking stuffers. Uh, for those who celebrate with stockings. Um, let me remind people of our call-in number. It's 347-994-2981. We presently have nobody waiting to talk to us, which is fairly unusual. So I am going to turn to, if you guys are ready, to our emails that have been coming in. Are we ready? Sure. Sure. This one says, Hello. Thank you so much for all the wonderful work you do. I would like to ask Dr. Green and the podcast team about ideas on how to work with challenging behavior. My 13-year-old son has difficulty with easily getting annoyed and irritated about small things with his younger brother. I think the lagging skills are difficulty with being flexible. Younger brother likes a TV show that he thinks is silly. Difficulty expressing his concerns or frustration. For example, younger brother doesn't read well yet, and older brother starts yelling, he's never going to learn, what are we going to do? Or the younger brother doesn't know a fact about a dinosaur, and the older says, how can you not know that in not a nice way? I'm not sure what the best way to make this better is. We have tried validating his feelings and trying to help him understand how this can be really detrimental to his younger brother, but we haven't been successful. In terms of proactive solutions, I find it hard to predict when it will happen. And when I have discussed it with my older son, when he is calm and try to plan how to deal with it, when it happens, he says he wants to remain calm and or to step away and not be mean to his brother, but then, then he can't do it in real time. They really love and like each other and share many good times together, so I think keeping them apart, besides being logistically hard, is not really a good option. I worry about the youngest losing self-confidence, etc., by receiving a lot of non-constructive criticism from his older brother, who he adores. My oldest is really bright and has a lot of knowledge, and the younger is already saying he's the smart one when referring to the oldest. Unfortunately, this has been going on for at least two years. Thank you. I will really appreciate your input. Um, 
There you go. Which one of you would like to take a crack at that one? <laughs> I'm um, thinking and that if you uh, don't, this is the same version but... we have. Oh. <laughs> I know there's always a little delay on on our our audio. Um, I was thinking that they. I read that email before, and I was like, "Oh, they're peeking in my window, <laughs> in my own house." <laughs> Something very similar goes on. Um, I had a few thoughts, but there's lots to say, so I could throw out a few and then kick it over to, to both of you. Um, I was my the first little note that I jotted down was that um, the parent is sort of taking a guess at like what lagging skills this could be about. And just to sort of say that um, multiple lagging skills can contribute to the same unsolved problem and you don't necessarily need to know which one or ones are at work here. It's kind of hard to know that. And so um, just making sure that there's no getting tripped up on that. Um, And so when, when they're talking about, um, the solution right now is that he walk. He wants to stay calm and walk away, but he can't do it real time. Um, I absolutely believe that that is what he wants because kids do well if they can, right? And that's exactly how he wants it to happen. And yet I wouldn't call that a solution that I think would maybe stand the test of time um, because I'm, that doesn't seem to address whatever his perspective or concern is in the situation. Um, and so I think there's room to kind of go back and um, elicit from him the information that we need, if we can get it, um, about what actually happens for him during some of these really nice, specific examples of um, incidents that were given. And so um, I think what I would suggest is kind of going and and figuring out how are you wording your unsolved problem, number one. Um, And then this would be talking when it's not happening, right, proactively. Um, And we always say, like, one of the most difficult things about wording the unsolved problem is that verb selection, right? So difficulty and then what is the verb or verb phrase that describes what you would like to see happen when, and then you gave some nice examples. So maybe one of the ones I'm remembering is when um, I think it was brother wants to watch a show that, that you think is silly. Um, so what is the verb phrase that, that joins the difficulty verb phrase, um, you know, when your brother is watching a show you think is silly? What, what would you actually want to see happen? What is expected behavior for that moment? Maybe it would be... Um, it could be difficulty talking nicely to your brother when he wants to watch a show that you think is silly, but maybe that's not your expectation. Maybe it's something different. Um, but we, what we've been saying these days kind of new is to make sure it's observable. This verb, this expectation is observable. It's not about internal state. It's not about staying calm, that kind of thing. That's a little too far downstream and a little nebulous, but what would you actually like to see happen um, in those moments? I'm going to kick it over to you guys because I've talked a lot, even though I have more thoughts. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, you said uh, everything I was going to say, so it's mostly a matter of whether Jennifer has something to add. <laughs> uh, I have a couple thoughts. 
Uh, one is that if you're starting a conversation with a kid and saying, you know, if, if your unsolved problem is as wide as having trouble, having difficulty speaking nicely with your brother, that's a lot of clumped stuff together. Uh, so what I've always heard you say, Dr. Green, is break it down to one specific incident because the unsolved problem there, the the concerns might be different from another instance and might be different from, you know, the other four instances that you see in a day. Uh, you can always clump them back together after you pick out the concerns. So I would question if there's some clumping happening in those conversations. And my only other thought was that at 13, a kid is old enough to grasp the basics of the Plan B conversation and to maybe if I know that in our house, my son was about 10 when we started using CPS in earnest. And it didn't work until I sat down and really kind of explained the model to him, um, not in explicit detail, but sort of the nickel view. This is, this is what I want to try. Uh, and once I got his buy-in to the model, it became a lot easier to have those Plan B conversations with him because he understood what I was doing and he wasn't going into the conversations being worried I was going to turn around and dump some Plan A on him at the end of it. Those were my only other thoughts. I think those are great thoughts. You know, the, the biggest point of emphasis for me is um, what we're talking with the older son about. Um, we're really looking for what's making it hard for him to meet our expectations. So, Kim, as you were saying, in the wording of our unsolved problem, we've got to be clear about what the expectation is. And then in the empathy step, we are gathering information from the younger brother, the older brother, excuse me, about what's making it hard for them to meet that expectation. So validating his feelings, not a huge part of the empathy step. Validating his concerns would be a huge part of the empathy. We have his concerns. Um, trying to help him understand how it can be really detrimental to his younger brother would be part of the define adult concerns step. So I want to make sure that mom is actually doing the three steps of plan B, um, which, as we always say, is different than what we might call just having a conversation. Um, that's why plan B is as structured as it is because there's a lot of ways in which we can get off track if we aren't sticking with the very specific ingredients of each of the three steps. Um, 
beyond that, I got nothing else to say. Uh, either of you have anything you want to final words on that before we move on to our next one? I think I'm good. Here we go. Here's one from a mom of a very young kid. We have an almost three-year-old and are struggling with implementing Plan B. Ideally, we would just need to worry about this at home, but our difficulties have now become too much for daycare to handle, and they are threatening expulsion. Okay. She is very verbal if she is not in the middle of a meltdown, so we've tried proactive Plan B, but it doesn't seem to stick in one ear and out the other. Because of that, I try emergency Plan B and generally and Plan C. However, most of the time, trying to talk to her at all during a meltdown causes the aggression to get more physical and intense. Any tips for when words seem to escalate the situation? Plan C works for some of it, but the things that are a priority and I want to walk, work through Plan B, what do we do? And so, once again, let me toss that one over to you both. Um, <laughs> I'm... I'm a little bit um, perfuffled on that one because I'm, there's some details that we're missing, but I'm betting you both feel the exact same way, but take a crack at it unless you want me to. Um, I can share the first thing that, that came into my mind. Um, before, Long before we uh, knew the words, collaborative and proactive solutions in our house, uh, at least in that phrase together, um, we had what we termed a code word between my son and me um, for when things started to feel like they were rising and and the pressure was was getting bigger and we were moving towards a meltdown. Uh, our code word was actually porcupine. My son chose it because he said that porcupines need hugs, but it's hard to hug them. Um, and if we were in a situation where either of us felt like it was about to get really ugly, and surprisingly, at a very young age, he was able to identify that, um, this made it a safe way for him to start that conversation. If either of us said porcupine, everything stopped and we went and sat on the couch and turned on a TV show and snuggled for a little while. Uh, and then it, it gave us the space to move out of the situation and into a calmer place where we could actually have a conversation. And he knew that no matter what, if that word came up, everything would stop. And it was amazing how well that worked. It was a solution for us. Uh, it may not be a solution for our email writer, uh, but it's something to consider if you feel like, if, if part of the concern is that things are getting too hot for any kind of plan B or plan C, other kind of plan C to work. That was my thought, Kim, what are your my thoughts? first thought as I, I was listening. I like that. Kim? I've heard lots of stories from you, Jennifer, but I'm not sure I remember porcupine. That is um, <laughs> very endearing. Very, it very was. endearing. Um, 
I um, was sort of thinking about how I, I, you know, I hear I hear the writer saying we're doing a lot of emergency deeds, and it's it's just you're diving into the unknown, right? When we're doing any emergency plan, of course, emergency B or emergency C are your better options. But, um, you know, to quote you, Dr. Green, I would like to say we'd really like to get you out of the heat of the moment because not a lot's going to go well. <laughs> um, and it's certainly the kind of the long-term solutions don't usually grow out of emergency plan B. So um, with words escalating the situation, um, I'm thinking about a couple of recordings that I've had the uh, recordings of Plan B's, proactive Plan B's from parents with their children that I've had the pleasure of listening to recently through our um, parent skills group that we do. Um, and these were both kids who are very verbal. And so sometimes we think, well, then they should have the words to tell us or they should <laughs> be able to access the words, right? And um that's not typically the case. So it doesn't really matter how verbal they are or not. Um, there's ways to adjust the model for kids who have words, but are, are having trouble using them to participate in plan B. And so in the recordings I'm thinking about, um, we talk a lot about the five finger method, which we've talked a lot about on here before, where you can, ha you could take guesses about what might be the kid's concern or perspective, and then they can rate on their fingers how, close you are with your guests with five being totally true and one being way off and everything in between for younger kids um, you can simplify that to kind of thumbs up thumbs in the middle thumbs down or just thumbs up thumbs down and so in two recordings um, two different kids where they're very verbal very young and the parents said I can't get them to talk when they started doing the thumbs not only did they get them talking but in both cases the kids would not allow for a deviation from the thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> like you can't, like they, they started to ask a question outside of the thumbs up, thumbs down. And the kids both said, we want the thumbs. <laughs> Some version of that. Um, and one of them would get escalated until they went back to, I'm just taking guesses and you show me with your thumbs. And as soon as they went back to that, he stayed engaged in the conversation and gave them information more than they had before. Um, and so if, you know, if, if plan B, especially with a young kid is not going to go well verbally, um, we can get the information in other ways. You can also, um, print, you, you know, use Google images or maybe even a better, uh, picture search engine to depict your guesses and pictures about what might be getting in the kid's way of meeting a certain expectation and they can point if, to, you know, to, to the ones that ring true for them. So there's ways to do it. Um, it's just playing a little bit of a different role as the adult partner. So that's what I was thinking. All good thoughts. Um, I'm a little stuck on the missing details. You know me. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not hearing enough about um, why proactive plan B doesn't stick. All I'm reading is in one ear, out the other. Um, there are the very few kids that I've worked with over the many years who proactive plan B wasn't ideal for because they 
in the empathy step couldn't recall what was making it hard for them to meet a particular expectation, but in the middle of the expectation were able to tell people what was making that hard. But that's extremely rare. So that being extremely rare, and given what I'm hearing from this mom about the difficulties of doing emergency plan B, I don't want to give up on proactive plan B just yet, but we would need more details. So I know your um, tried proactive plan B doesn't seem to stick in one ear and out the other, very verbal if she's not in the middle of a meltdown. Everything I'm reading says that proactive plan B should be preferable, but I want to invite mom to call in to our next program, or if you're listening right now, call in. We don't have anybody in front of you today. Three four seven nine nine four two nine eight one because we need some details on why proactive plan B isn't working for you, which is causing you to resort to emergency plan B, which also isn't working for you. I'm going to put my money on proactive plan B. The fact that your daughter is three years old does not deter me from thinking that proactive plan B should work. There's nothing about the fact we're hearing that she's very verbal, hearing nothing about your daughter that makes me think that proactive plan B wouldn't be a good idea. We just need more details on what's going wrong so we can help you fix it. Um, that's what I'm thinking. Could, can I add one other thought, Dr. Green, that came up as of you were talking? Course. Go ahead. Um, Especially when we first started using Plan B, I found that I was doing a lot of what I later referred to as Plan B and Plan A clothes. <laughs> mm. Or plan, excuse me, Plan A and Plan B clothes, um, where I would go into a conversation that looked like Plan B, but was really me using the framework to try to bring my child around to my way of thinking so that they felt yep. heard, but in the end, they would do what I wanted them to do. Uh, and it's a, a trap that parents I've found often fall into when they're first starting to use it. And your kids can see that. They can see that, that you're not really trying to hear what they say and find a solution that works for everybody. They can see that what you're really doing is trying to get them to do what you want them to do. Uh, so it's something that is important to be aware of and listening to ourselves to make sure that isn't the direction that we're moving in because a lot of times when I hear parents say, well, we tried plan B and it didn't work, what they're really trying is plan A and plan B close. I'm glad you added that. It is one of the <laughs> many ways in which plan B can go off the rails. Um, <laughs> Mom, call us. 347-994-2981, even if you're not that mom, call us. We are. Um, <laughs> we only have 18 minutes left in today's program. I, don't, I think it's been a long time since we've had a program that didn't have a caller. 
But we are going to move on to another uh, email. We have lots of these. This one says, hello, I recently purchased and began implementing Plan B from the book The Explosive Child. I have found it working for some things, but now I am totally lost uh, <laughs> when my child explodes, when he agrees to something and then doesn't do what he mutually agreed upon and doesn't get something he wants. He is 10 Diagnosis of ADHD, ASD, and probably some ODD. He throws things, slams doors, throws things in his room, bangs on the door loudly for a long time, makes loud noises and some, for sometimes hours, and is just destructive as a way to, quote-unquote, get back. It becomes very unnerving and difficult to figure out how to come up with a solution and keep my cool. I am looking for any suggestions of help as this has been the hardest of all and nothing works. I am a single parent and exhausted after 10 years of this. Thank you. And uh, don't say thank you yet, but maybe thank you in <laughs> a few minutes. Um, do either of you want to take a stab at that one? <laughs> well, this one for me is is, def is missing some information I wish I had. Um, yep. The, um, so I'm not sure if I if I dive in, it might be in the wrong spot, but we, I can give it a try. Um, so it sounds like that there's an agreement about something, and then in the moment he doesn't follow through, and um, she mentioned he doesn't get what he wants, and so I we we would. I would want to check how are you wording the unsolved problem? What is the information you're getting from your child about the unsolved problem? And does what he agreed to actually address that information you got, his concern? Because sometimes we um, pick a solution that works for us but might not actually address what the child says is their concern. Or maybe it's addressed a piece of it, but not all of it. Um, and then the part about he doesn't get what he wants. Um, I'm not. There's a couple different ways to take that, so I'm hesitating. But I, I would, we, you know, we talk about coercion a lot, and and as far as you know, us thinking that kids are, co are coercing us into giving them what they want. Right, and that they want what they want when they want it, and they do everything they can to get it. Um, and so just offering a reframe on that in case it's helpful that um, we all want what we want. I want what I want. Um, I, don't, I don't particularly like not getting what I want when I want it either. And well, a lot of people will say, oh, that's because I know this all too well. <laughs> I was going to say, if my siblings are listening, because I'm the youngest of seven, so they definitely experience that, right? Um, but it's not about that, because that's human nature. It's not, you know, as much as Dr. Green wants to tell you, that's my issue. It's not. It's human nature. And so um, <laughs> we, we really want to think Some about, you know, it's... <clears throat> <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> having the skills to flex and adapt and tolerate frustration and problem solve when what you want can't happen or can't happen on the timeline that you would like it to. And so 
I'm hoping that maybe keeping the kids do well as they can lenses on and thinking, well, it's not just that he's upset that he's not getting in his own way. His, um, his gears might be stuck when that happens, that he can't think and problem solve his way out of it. And so, um, yeah, and that now I'm thinking about something I dealt with with my son this morning <laughs> when we were talking about, oh, your gears are stuck again. Um, so it's hard to think, isn't it, right? So anyway, kind of what I would say, given the information we have at this point. What is it, Dr. Green, the phrase do. you used, rutting into solutions? <laughs> yes. But we do yeah. have a little bit of a hint here. I agree with you, Kim, that we are missing information. We've got lots of diagnoses in here. We've got lots of concerning behaviors in here. We've got a theory about why the child is being disrupt, disruptive, uh, destructive, and we have a reminder of just how hard this can be. The, the hint that I am glomming onto here is that the, the uh, child is agreeing to something and then doesn't do what he mutually agreed upon, which is not an uncommon occurrence in Plan B. Um, to protect against that, uh, and by the way, that's also not a, an uncommon occurrence in real life. In real life, sometimes people agree to solutions they either can't actually do reliably or that doesn't actually work to address their own concerns, and that's the mutually satisfactory part. So we're always saying that the solution has to be realistic and mutually satisfactory. The fact that a child agrees to a solution does not mean that it's mutually satisfactory and realistic. It means that the child said, yes, let's go with that. But to protect as much as possible against rolling forward with solutions that might not be realistic and mutually satisfactory, before we roll with any solution, we give conscious, deliberate thought to whether the solution is truly realistic and truly mutually satisfactory. And for truly realistic, we are asking, we have, we have a solution on the table now, we're asking, do you think you can actually do that? Um, and if the kid says yes, we're ticking the box, especially if we believe that the answer is yes. If we believe the answer might not be yes, we're saying, you sure? Because um, don't, you don't need to agree to it just because it's the first solution we thought of. If you don't feel you can do it reliably, we can think of another solution. And of course, the caregiver has to agree that they can do their part of the solution. If both of those boxes get ticked off, then we still have a solution in play. If one of them, then we're going back to consider either how to refine that original solution or think of a different one. And by the way, this is always one solution at a time. We're not brainstorming solutions, otherwise we have 18 different solutions we have to give conscious, deliberate thought to in terms of realistic and mutually satisfactory. But let's say both boxes for realistic got ticked. We are now moving on to mutually satisfactory. Do you, will this solution address your concern? And we're repeating the kid's concern to them, and we are giving conscious, deliberate thought to whether it would address their concern. If the answer is yes, that box gets checked. And then we're 
saying to out loud, let me think about whether that solution addresses my concern. If the answer is yes, that box gets checked and we now have a solution that we can roll with. But notice, just because a child mutually agrees on a solution doesn't mean that it's mutually satisfactory. That requires that we give it some thought before we roll in with it, and it doesn't guarantee that it's realistic. That requires thought before we roll with it. And that's the best protection we have against rolling with a solution that is neither realistic nor mutually satisfactory. Having said all of that, occasionally, some still slip through. Occasionally, the solution ends up not being realistic and mutually satisfactory, which is not a plan B tragedy. Um, it's a reason to go back to plan B and get it sorted out. So the main hint that I'm finding we have and mom, you're saying you have found plan B working for some things, but not others. We need some more details on what it's working for and what it's not. But the main thing is it may be working for the ones that you may have gotten lucky on. They ended up being realistic and mutually satisfactory, but not because you gave that conscious, deliberate thought. They just, it just turned out that way you're really improving your odds of a solution working if you are giving conscious, deliberate thought to whether it's realistic and mutually satisfactory before you sign off on it. Um, but you have a standing invitation to call in as well. And since we're gonna send you uh, the link to this podcast after the program, I wanna repeat the number, 347-994-2981. If you give us a shout, we'll try to figure out why some are working and some are not. And um, maybe in between now and then, you can do the conscious, deliberate thought piece on realistic and mutually satisfactory and tell us if that helped things go any better. Um, any further thoughts on that from you both? Oh, I would just add... I would just add that I can't tell you how many times I've thought we had a solution that was going to work and we've had to go back to the model to dive back in a little bit or a lot of bit, <laughs> depending on the situation. Uh, it doesn't mean your plan B failed. It just means that you don't have everything yet. And a lot of people feel like if the solution doesn't work, then they have to throw everything out. You don't have to throw everything out. It just means that you need to have a little more conversation. A failed Tim, solution is thoughts? not a failed plan B. <laughs> that, is, that is correct. And in fact, we often say, you know, ultimately the holy grail of plan B is that we have a solution that's working. But there are... And that's the ultimate goal. But there are many points of light, we might call it, on the way to a solution that works. And sometimes it's a solution that doesn't working that comes before a solution that's going to work. But there's a whole lot of good stuff going on in Plan B. Um, that's good stuff. That's proof that Plan B is working, even if we haven't quite yet gotten to the holy grail, a solution that is actually working and standing the test of time. Kim, I think I heard you were going to say something, too. Oh, I was just going to say, I think you both covered it very nicely. <laughs> well, we uh, 
we appreciate you saying that. And um, I, I think you did a really good job before that. And uh, well, thank you because you didn't say that, but thank you. <laughs> well, how, do I do I have to say it immediately? This is not this is not the the behavior has to be as proximal to the consequence as possible for it to have impact that we're not, we're not that we're not about that, Kim. So we can give compliments at any point along the way. And it's still just as impactful. I, I hope perhaps even more impactful. Well, well, but you'd be the ultimate judge of that. Kim. For another day, I think for another day, a discussion for another day. For another day. Well, that's, that's great because there will be another day, but that other day is not going to be today because we do not have time to cover our, uh, a few of the other questions that have come in. So in the, uh, as a um, act of valor, I'm going to um, say that we should end just a little bit early here rather than try to tackle one. The next one that's in the queue would uh, it would take two minutes to read all by itself, and that's not a bad thing. It just happens to be a fairly involved question that the person was asking. I'm thinking the better part of valor is to call it a day for today. Do any of you have any final thoughts? Because I sure don't. Just that our next podcast is Tuesday, December 6th, 11 Eastern. Thank you, Kim. Uh, and thank you for reminding us of the date of the next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, some positive feedback. <laughs> Jennifer, do you want to? Any, any, I'm feeling very, I'm feeling very positive today. Jennifer, you, if anything you say next, I will respond to with with, with favor. Um, Yes, we we don't do well because we need a sticker, right? That's not it. <laughs> Jennifer, That's right. thank you for reminding reminding Kim of that. She, you know, some of this is about you know early stuff that we we, we can't tackle on this program. Um, but anyway. <laughs> Jennifer, I think that's an excellent thought, and I, 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 I congratulate you for saying it. And on that note, <laughs> we're going to call it a day for today. Thanks to all of you for listening in. And, Kim, when's the next one again? December 6th, my son's birthday. <laughs> oh, no wonder. Okay, that's what you really wanted to say. Thank you both, as always, and we will be back next month. Take care, everybody. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye.